Uh, did, did any of you catch that sports thing that happened last week? <laughs> the one with the, the guys in mostly red beating the guys with like a little bit of red on them? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so most of the time, like, um, I don't care a whole lot about the Super Bowl, uh, usually because my team's not in it. Um, <laughs> but uh, so like typically a, a, a game between uh, a team from Kansas City who's not even in Kansas and uh, a team from San Francisco uh, who, when I think about San Francisco, like all that really comes to mind fresh is uh, a really sweet battle scene from X-Men 3 and um, the future home of Starfleet Academy. Uh, hoping for it. Um, but but this, this year, so, so normally it'd be like, yeah, whatever. Um, I'm just going to watch this and, um, and enjoy it. But um, this year I cared. I cared a little bit because um, the, the coach of the Chiefs, uh, his name is Andy. Yeah, Andy. And, uh, and I love Andy because Andy used to be the king of the kingdom that I was a part of, uh, the Eagles Nation. Um, I don't know if you know about the Eagles Nation, but you can recognize us uh, as the people in green burning the city down when we win. Um, so, but anyway, even though the Chiefs won, I was really happy for Andy. Um, something was happening underneath the Super Bowl that was way more impressive to me than, uh, than football, than a man finally winning the Super Bowl, even more impressive than uh, the dancing at the halftime show. And it was, it was this. You see, um, in 2012, August of 2012, uh, Andy Reid was entering his last season as the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. And in that month, he lost his son Garrett to a heroin overdose. And uh, the news really, really rocked the city of Philadelphia because in a football town, the head coach is closer to the hearts of most people than uh, like the mayor. And so, and even winning the Super Bowl last week, there was, there's a piece of Andy's family missing. A piece of his heart wasn't there. And, and that's the sad part. But the part that warms my heart is uh, that in the shadow and the, the remembrance of, of such a tragedy, there was a light that shined bright. You see, in 2018, July of 2018, Demi Lovato faced a similar fate as Garrett Reed. However, she survived her overdose, and she's found 18 months of freedom from addiction. And I can't help but think that while she was on national television, singing the national anthem, a song about freedom, about the end of war, the end of turmoil, a song about liberation and a flag still being there, that that didn't touch a piece of her heart, that it didn't touch a piece of Andy's heart standing there on the sidelines, because I know that it touched a piece of my heart in a way where I was crying when I just wrote that, you know? Uh, I'm not now, but you are. <laughs> uh, you see, when Garrett Reed died in August of 2012, I was in the midst of the final months of my own downward spiral towards death. I was still a few moments away from this moment in my life that, that would forever change everything. See, I, I had lost the ability to make a choice 
to choose anything other than the thing that was killing me. But somehow, in his mercy, God placed me before a decision. Live or die. And not by my own power, but by something much more miraculous. I chose to live. Not just once, but every single day of my life since that point in time, I have chosen to live. I have chosen to live because if I want to be a survivor of addiction, that's what I have to do. And I said survivor because I think that surviving means a whole lot more than just staying alive. It's about living life as though it's a gift. For me, living my life as a gift that not everyone who's like me gets. It's a reminder every day for me that that life is fragile, but also that life is so much more than just taking breaths and having a pulse. But you see, part of the human condition is that uh, we really easily become overcome and consumed by the fear of death, the, the reality that death is something that happens and that life is fragile. And, and we, while we are, are so focused on that, we forget, we forget to live. I think that one of the most incredible gifts that we have as believers of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we have this blessed hope that this thing that we're doing right now, that we do day in and day out, that this isn't all that there is. That our story goes on beyond what we experience here in this lifetime. But even as believers of all of that, that hope doesn't always win in our minds. And so today, what I, what I want to look at is, is really the idea of life and death. And what, see, what, the, what does the Bible and theology say about life and death? And, and just try and dive in and figure out just what is it that we're so afraid of? And so, this begins the, the tale of two trees, now, before we, we jump into it, know this. If you're living thousands of years ago in the Middle East, there's not a lot of trees. Mostly sand and sweat. <laughs> they hadn't invented irrigation yet. So, so uh, trees to ancient Near Eastern people were, were miraculous. So miraculous, in fact, that a lot of the uh, religions that surrounded our Jewish ancestors actually depicted their God as a tree. And so when we read uh, a book written by ancient Middle Easterners, uh, we should read it through that lens. So, so here we go. This is, this is how it all starts. In the beginning, God does his thing, right? He creates the earth and all the plants and the animals, and, and he creates humans, and he breathes his life into their nostrils. And then the book of Genesis tells us this. This is uh, Genesis 2, 8 through 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man that he had formed, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of garden, in the, the middle of the garden, 
where the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, in Middle Eastern eyes, God has created a cosmic paradise. And then a few verses later, in uh, verses 16 and 17, it says this. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And this is like, this is the setup. We've got Adam, who's shortly going to become Adam and Eve. And they're hanging out in this garden with complete freedom to eat anything that they want, to, to live life, to live their best life, uh, having all that God has provided for them, except for, except for the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and really, the, the Hebrew word means bad. And if they eat from that tree, death will come upon them. And so we have planted in the middle of the garden a choice. The tree of life or the tree of death. And of course, like our Christian theology, our tradition, uh, places like huge cosmic consequences on this choice. But we don't always understand it. At face value, it just kind of looks like God's, God wants humans to be naive and dumb and childish, to not know anything about what's right and wrong, and that by being curious, Adam and Eve were punished for disobeying kind of a condescending rule, that they failed some sort of test. However, the rest of the biblical narrative sees the tree of life as the source of wisdom, the source of God's wisdom. And meanwhile, the tree of knowing good and bad represents humanity's decision to define good and bad on our own terms. One tree leans on God for truth, and it grants life, and the other forces us to decide for ourselves, and always leads to chaos, destruction, and death. So, uh, in case you haven't heard, uh, we chose wrong. <laughs> we messed up, and uh, we take what looks pleasing to our eyes, we eat, our eyes are open, and the first thing that we see when our eyes are open to what is good and bad is that we're naked, and we're like, this is bad. And then God shows up, and we're like, this is really bad, right? And God has a conversation with us, and he says a lot of things. But then God has a conversation amongst himself and, and his heavenly host, and, and this is what he says. This is Genesis 3, through 24. It says, and the Lord God said, the man has no, now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And at first I'm like, man, God... That's kind of rough, man. Just like cutting us off from the tree of life like that. 
But as Genesis tells us, the fruit from the tree of life grants us the ability to live forever. And as humans who have chosen a path which leads to destruction, living forever would be disastrous. And so God, knowing this, he, he cuts them off. And, and it's really the right choice because for generations and generations, absolute chaos and violence and destruction reign on earth. And can, can you imagine having to live in this world the way that it is now forever? I can't. So I'm thankful for the gift so this cycle of violence continues until the earth is just consumed with what is bad and God finds a righteous man says the only righteous man and he calls him out his name was Noah and he says to Noah go and build a boat out of wood now in English we got Two words. We have tree and wood. In Hebrew, there's one word for both tree and wood. So he literally says to Noah, go and make a boat out of tree, and I will carry you to life. And then this is played out again and again throughout all of the Old Testament. And uh, I'd love to talk to you about all of it, but like, you probably want to eat lunch at some point and go home. So uh, just, just know this. The trees, the tree of life, the tree of death, represent a choice that we have. A choice to choose life and a choice to choose death. And let's just kind of hang out here for a moment because I think that the fear of death really comes to us because death is associated with pain in our, in our minds. And it should be painful because death takes from us something that God did not initially intend for us to lose. So whether we fear for our own death or, or the death of those close to us, it's natural. However, what is, what is not natural is for the fear of death to cripple us and to cause us to avoid actually living. See, at some point in life, we all come face to face with the reality that our existence and everyone else's will come to an end, at least in this particular form. And for some, some people, our first encounter with death is the death of our pet, or for me, it was my grandfather. But no matter what, no matter who we are, this is an inevitability. In my world, in Demi Lovato's world, and in Andy Reid's world, a lot of people die. Some years, it's worse than others. And I'll be honest, it doesn't really get a lot easier. The, the hurt feels a little less intense over time. But the reality is that everyone that I associate with, that I care for, that I love outside of really this church community is one decision away from an untimely end. And I know that, I've come to terms with that, I've accepted that, and I've known it for, for a long, long time. But still, in the back of my mind, there's a reasonable level of fear involved with getting close to anyone. And so our, our, our real fear is not 
of death itself, but of the void that death creates in our own lives. No matter how we dress it up, we are afraid because when we lose someone, it affects us. And if it's our, our own death that we fear, it's probably less a fear of the end and more a fear of not having truly lived yet. You know, as followers of Jesus, one of our, our most fundamental beliefs is that when this life ends, we will enter into the presence of God. And although it sounds crazy, we believe that we will one day walk with God physically on this earth in physical bodies. And so, you know, a few weeks ago, we defined fear as an acronym, uh, false evidence appearing real. So what if, what if our fear of death and dying is just that? A false perception that death is the end. A false narrative that reads from the tree of knowing good and bad rather than from the tree of life that God has given for us. You see, while, while humanity has continued and honestly still continues to exist in cycles of violence and destruction that comes from us choosing to define good and bad for ourselves, God has been continuing to offer to us the tree of life. First through Noah and his descendants, and then through Abraham and his, then through the nation of Israel. And all of them, all of them have failed to continuously make the right choice. And so out of these people who have been trapped and held hostage by their own actions, God called a young girl. And into her womb, he placed a seed from the tree of life, his very own existence. And from her, this child was born who became the God-man, Jesus Christ. And when, when Jesus came, when Jesus came, he lived a human life. He loved he made friends. He experienced the reality of the human condition. And although he was God, he felt the emotional toll that death takes on the human heart. And so one day, he got news that his friend Lazarus was very ill. And by the time he got there to see him, his friend had been dead for days. And in a conversation with Lazarus's sister, Martha, Jesus says this to her, and this comes from uh, John chapter 11, uh, verses 25 and 26. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then the story goes on, and Jesus weeps bitterly at the death of his friend Lazarus and then uses his power to raise him from the dead. But I think that the important point that Jesus makes here is that he identifies himself as the resurrection and the life. You see, if sin and death 
are the, the causes of, of the terrible situation in our world, the cause of pain, the cause of hurt, the cause of fear and oppression. If, if sin and death are the problem, then the solution, the cure, is resurrection and life. And Jesus is announcing himself as the tree of life. He's saying, hey, believe in me and you will never die. Eat the fruit of my tree and life will be yours because I am life. And it, it's really at this point in history that the tree of life becomes fully available to God's creation again through, through the life of Jesus. However, uh, his work is not finished yet. There's still work to be done. And so Jesus, the tree of life, must face off one last time against the tree that brings death. And so the apostle Peter he writes this to us in, in his first letter, and this is uh, verse, chapter 2, verse 24. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so, uh, in the New Testament, which is, is written in Greek, uh, the most commonly used word that is translated uh, to us as cross is uh, the word stavros. And it quite literally means cross, Roman instrument of death. But when Peter speaks of the cross, he uses a different word, both in his speeches in Acts and here in this letter. And he uses this word, xylon which means, can you guess? It means tree. You see, to Peter, in Peter's mind, the tree of life was put to death on the tree of death so that we might be freed from the power of death. You see, through the resurrection of Jesus, death was defeated. The cross, the tree of death, no longer has power over God's creation. And the hope that comes from that is radically proclaimed by Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church. And this is 1 Corinthians 15. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? And that hope, that hope of the resurrection that Paul proclaims, we have been given in a vision, a vision of the earth made new, 
of humanity and God living together, free of sin, free of death, living out the resurrection that Jesus modeled in the age to come. And it comes in the last book of the Bible, one of the last chapters, Revelation 22. And John says this, then, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree, the xilon of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And so what I want to be clear after that journey that I just took you on from pretty much the first page of the Bible to the last page <laughs> is that life and death, biblically and theologically speaking, has a lot less to do with biological functions and a lot more to do with our proximity to God. And our proximity to God is determined by whether or not we are living our lives in a way that we try to define what is best for us on our own, or if we allow God to do that for us. Essentially, are we eating from the tree of life, or are we eating from the tree of death? See, for a lot of years, I ate from the wrong tree constantly. And like I said, most of my friends are one decision away one decision to eat the low-hanging fruit of sin and death away from a tragic ending. And so I could live into the fear of that eventual end. I could keep an emotional distance. And in doing so, I could remain safe. However, I don't think that I would be truly living. You see, for me, for me living means seeing lives changed by the power of God's grace. For me, living is, is watching people begin to eat from the tree of life and allow God to fulfill them. That's living for me. And so if I distance myself from that miracle, then I'm not really living. The fear of death will have robbed me from my ability to truly live. And so I don't know what truly living looks like for each of us individually. But I can surely tell you that no matter what it is, don't let death steal that from you. My point here is that in order to be healed of and alleviated from the fear of death, we ought to start living. And God says, God says that living means walking with and allowing him to impart his life-giving wisdom to us so that our life can impart that life-giving wisdom to those around us. Life means being in a relationship with God because that is what eternal life is all about. So think about children for a moment. Before children know about death, when life is all that there is, before they can even say real words, they live. 
And the way that they live is by expressing themselves in, in songs and, and in other creative ways. Essentially, they just worship. And I, I really love this quote by uh, a woman named Felicia Rashad. And, and she says this, before a child talks, they sing. Before they write, they draw. As soon as they stand, they dance. Art is fundamental to human expression. Now think about that for a moment. See, if art is fundamental to human expression, and, as, and we, as followers of Jesus, b- believe that the truest form of human expression is a reflection of God's image in us, And so, in our quest to overcome the fear of death by choosing to live a life that is close to God, I think that we should bring it all the way back. Back to the practices that we had when we were young, when we were unstung by death. Um, you know, I don't, I don't do uh, a lot of funerals. Jason... Uh, really handles that for the most part. But because I live uh, in a community with people who love God but aren't necessarily church people, um, I get asked to do funerals for some folks whom I'm re- like really the only pastoral relationship uh, that they have. And uh, when I get to go visit them towards the end of their lives and we meet, I found that I haven't met one yet that's been afraid of what comes next. They don't want me to talk to them about it. And most recently, it was my friend's mom. And uh, her name was Joy, which was really appropriate because although she was in the late stages of brain cancer, uh, the last time that I went to see her, all that she wanted to do was pray and then sing. And then pray and then sing. I was saying the same prayer. We were singing the same song, and I started to wonder if she just didn't remember that we had already done this, but it didn't matter. And for about an hour, that's what we did. And then at her celebration, we sang a lot of songs. And I thought to myself, how incredible is it that when facing the end, all that Joy wanted to do was worship God. And I think that there is a lesson in that for all of us. It's the cure for the fear of death is worship. Because worship is our natural way of responding to eating from the tree of life that is offered to us through Jesus. And so I thought that uh, our spiritual practice this week would be to worship. And I think that uh, we can start that right here, uh, right now, with no instruments, just our voices, singing together, Amazing Grace. And so, would you, would you sing with me? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch 
like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed Through many dangers, toils, and snares We have already Twas grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home, and grace will lead us home. And so, God, we thank you. we thank you, and we pray that that your grace will lead us home, and that until the day that we meet with you face to face, that we would make choices, that we would choose life, that we would choose to live, to be close to you, in worship with you, in all that we do. And it's in the powerful name of of your Son Jesus, who was the tree of life, conquering the tree of death. Amen.